Welcome to the Adoption Today podcast. I'm Carrie Wilds. I'm Karen Lear. We do real talk on adoption and this journey called parenting. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. We have kind of a heavy topic to bring up today, but we also wanted to shed light on what we think could be some possible solutions. And we're talking about the foster care crisis in the state of Florida. And that affects everybody really, but Carrie has had some experience with foster care. And so we decided we should bring it up and discuss it. Yeah, I think as you know, number one, residents and taxpaying citizens of Tampa in Florida, um, you know, this is a, a topic that really does, everyone pays for it and it affects everybody. And yeah. you continue to see a cycle of these children dying. And if you saw the article last week of Jordan um, Beliveau, who was two years old and he was murdered um, by his mother, you know, you see, you know, within a few days of seeing children being murdered, I always look for an article a couple days later that says that, you know, they were in the foster system, DCF failed them, there's all these things that occurred that could have been, you know, preventative of this child dying. And there's been so, so many cases like this. And when we became foster parents, this is what keeps me up at night. Yeah. <laughs> like every yeah. time it happens. So, you know, people get outraged and, you know, people are like, what can we do? Sure. And then it kind of goes away and nobody really talks about it. And then it happens again and it again. It happens again. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if if you remember, there was the case of Phoebe John Chuck yes, a few years ago who <laughs> her dad threw her off a bridge yeah and she was she was four or five and she died that way and same thing like john john chuck had gone to multiple people and basically you know was begging them to take her away from Pretty them much. He yeah went to like a minister i remember and they and thought nobody. he was acting strangely but nobody felt i guess they could step in and there was some calls that were made and yeah. things like that so that's an example and yeah. then um in 2015 jenica randazzo she was nine years old and she had been returned to live with her grandfather and they never paid attention. I'm sure that DCF knew, but they never paid attention that the uncle living with them had some very um, severe mental health problems and he killed her, mm. you know? So, and I actually through that, <clears throat> when I saw that on the news, I got so angry. The foster parents spoke out about it. Um, Ashley and she, Ashley Rhodes. And so I messaged her and we actually became Facebook friends about it. Um, you know, and so these stories keep happening over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to talk about and give you a personal example because it was the case that we had of Mm -hmm. how this keeps happening. Um, because the same thing does keep happening over and over and there's been really nothing that is in place to change it. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk through our, the case that we had because it was and is a ticking time bomb of a similar type of thing that could happen really at any point. So, you know, when you're a foster parent, you go into it thinking, you know, I'm going to foster these kids and then they're going to, you know, probably be returned to the parent in a safe environment or an aunt or an uncle or whatever. But you really aren't ever, you don't think of or are prepared for the fact that these kids really are going to be put anywhere they can possibly put them with a family member or they consider friends to be family members. Right. Which yes. I didn't know until you told me that. So yes. it's kind of like they're, yeah, that, that seems 
like you said, you had to jump through hoops to become a foster parent. And mm-hmm. you had to have all these background checks and whatever. Is that the same for the friends of the family then? It is not. Mm-hmm. It is very different the types of um, standards that are held for biological parents, relatives, and then friends, which are also considered relatives. So to kind of walk through an example of how these cases continue to happen, um, when we were foster parents, we had a little baby. She was a newborn and um, she came to us, you know, and when she first came to our house, like everybody was super nice. The case manager, the guardian ad litem, like everyone was nice about it. She had five siblings, aged one to five, who were also in foster care, and they were already in the termination of parental rights process. So those five kids were definitely going to be, um, you know, placed for adoption with someone. Mm -hmm. And the case had been open for numerous years. I think the three little ones had never lived with the mom. They had been doing visits and things like that. But these five kids lived in a group home which isn't even for little kids like little kids are supposed to be in foster homes but they wanted to try to keep most of them together and there's no home for five kids so we had just gotten the baby because newborns can't be in group homes or aren't supposed to be so you know in the beginning they're like you know these kids are gonna be have their rights terminated from the mom like we would love for you to adopt them can you adopt all of them how many can you adopt (laughs) you know x y and z you know that kind of thing so it's like you know everybody's nice to you at the beginning and all that kind of stuff so what what happens is along the way throughout this process you know these kids are gonna need to live somewhere so they literally will exhaust their efforts to find any family member, any friend. And so come to find out over this three or four years that these kids have all been in the foster system, they had done home studies on numerous, numerous people to try to find these pla- these kids a place to live. Every single one failed. I mean, there was people in South Florida, there was people in Tampa, there was Whoa. people all over the place. Um, that were family members or friends. And that, what would, just out of curiosity, what would cause someone to fail a home study then if they were a family member or friend of the um, You know, if you have a criminal background um, in terms of, like, violence or drug abuse, okay. typically that is a reason. But not just a record in general. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can have a record and still yes. be approved. And it actually has to be a convicted so if you have like... Oh, if you were just accused. Yeah, not. if you were have a, like an arrest for something, mm-hmm. that isn't that you were convicted of it. Right. Which I didn't know that that's a different thing. Wow. <laughs> so you're like, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I actually don't know. I don't know all of the rules that mm-hmm. would cause you to fail, but okay, they but are... that's interesting. Yes. So the, the home study that they do on family members and friends is way less strict mm-hmm. than a foster parent would have to go through to actually get a child. And they told... Like, I asked, you know, a million reasons of, like, tell me what the stipulations are. And they really couldn't tell me what the rules were for a home study for a bio parent or a friend, even though I know there are some. But basically what they said was, if you're a foster parent, you're getting licensed to foster any child that would come into your home. But a bio parent, it's a specific child. So what that says to me is that they're saying, oh, well, these certain kids they don't really have to have the highest level of safety standards in whatever home they're going to because they're not just any kid. So like as a foster parent, it just blows my mind that there isn't, you know, like one stipulation because human beings are human beings. Right. Shouldn't it be the same? Exactly. Right. Exactly. So 
you know, kind of fast forward a little bit, you know, we have this little baby for four months and, you know, along the way they're doing home studies on some friends of the bio mom and they're like, oh, there's no way they're going to pass. They have like these histories and X, Y, and Z and all this kind of stuff. And then one day, you know, they say they came over to do a visit and they're like, oh, we have um, two friends of the mom that are related and their home studies passed. Oh, so we're going to go ahead and start visits with them. And we're going to place the three girls with one and the three boys with another. Oh, wow. Like out of the blue, they just tell us that. And so me being like mama bear, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're like, who are these I'm people? like, who are these people? Sure. Like, I want to know about them, yeah. you know, this and that. And so and the interesting thing was, is that they wouldn't tell us anything about them no names like nothing they would not tell us a single thing about them and I was like huh that seems suspicious to me um you know because I drop her off at visits and things like that and so um you know I became I just had a bad feeling about it yeah and so I dropped her off at a visit and um I won't say where it was but what I did to get the name of the person who was coming to the visit is I looked at the sign-in log oh because I'm like I'm gonna get the name of this person and I'm gonna run a background check on yeah. them myself I don't blame you I know. so right? so that is when You're my like Aaron Brockovich like yeah figure this out so that is when my um private investigation skills started to occur <laughs> so I got the name of the person hmm. and I found out the other person also through that who oh. was going to be getting these kids and so oh, I mean I did a simple search online that anybody could possibly do sure well that's why they didn't want to give you exactly yeah. and so what I did was I you know looked up their arrest record all this stuff both of them had several arrests on their record um, as well as they own a property in the Tampa Bay area and so I looked up the property and when you look on the property appraiser you can find the address number one of attached to that person's name but you can also look up all of the arrests that have occurred at that location. Oh, really? Yes. And so when I did that, there was about mm, 16, 18 arrests that had occurred at the home of those people. Oh <laughs> so gosh. for drugs, for violence, for you know domestic violence, for guns, for wow. all kinds of stuff. So I was livid. And I was like... I cannot believe this. I can't believe that they're going to place these six little kids with these people. Like to me, that's not a safe environment. And so what I did was I put together all of this information that I found. Again, I'm just a citizen. I'm not a private investigator or a <laughs> but police officer. you were officer. doing a good job of it. <laughs> yes, because I'm like... Because you care. Exactly. Right. I mean, if they were like, you know, a great... Like, you know, no issues. I can't say anything. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So I put together this whole um, report, essentially, of all the arrests, the address, like all the things I had found that are reasons why I have concern of why these six kids should be going to this house. And so um, nobody wanted to talk to me about it. And so we set up a meeting at our house with the guardian ad litem, the case manager, the case manager supervisor, And our licensing person who, like, you know, did our foster license Mm -hmm. or whatever. So we had a big meeting about it. They were so angry with me for presenting this information to them. How dare you do this? Like, this is none of your business. You don't have any say in 
what we think should happen to these kids, <laughs> you know? So it like that is exactly the type of thing. That's the mentality. Yes, that yeah. happens. And what it comes down to is a power struggle and funding as well. So this case had been going on for, you know, three or four years mm-hmm. and they hadn't been able to close it. Mm-hmm. So that dings them on their funding for Eckerd and for DCF kind of thing because they need to close these cases. Yes. There's a a law that um, this like state level DCF, they get funding when they place a child permanently within 24 months of them coming into the system. Right. So the problem is, is when there's more children that are born, it continues to continue the case on forever and ever. So that's why these cases can be open for so, so long. Because like this one, for example, there were six kids already. Right. So, you know, so by the time I had, you know, given my input and, you know, brought forth this information, we were shunned as foster parents. They pretty much decided that they were going to stop telling us anything. They were not going to include us in anything. We went to a court hearing and we didn't even know it, but we're sitting in court and they wanted her out of our house because they didn't want her us involved anymore. And so we're sitting in court and the judge says, oh, I see the foster parents have an abuse report on them. And we're, we were sitting there in court, no one speaking to us, but we're sitting there listening to this and we're like, what? we have an abuse report on us? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And so... Um, I will say most of the time guardian ad litems are amazing. I will say to you, our guardian ad litem is the one that called in the abuse report because she was so furious with us that her power had been taken away because she had been involved in this case for so long. So she wanted that baby out of our house. So they called an abuse report on us for diaper rash which she's a five month, four month old little baby. All babies get diaper rash, you know? So the the investigator hadn't even been to our house yet. So literally they called it before court on purpose because they wanted the judge to, to say, it. Yeah, let's remove that foster baby from right. them because now they have an abuse report. Oh my god. Yes. So that got dirty. Yes, very dirty. And I'm telling you, this is what happens when anybody raises red flags against what they say they want to happen. Because they have found, like, right. homes, potentially. Right, and they want to wrap it up. Exactly. And, like, we talked about putting them with a biological family member or the family friend, which qualifies as a mm-hmm. biological family member. It happens more quickly. It's easier yes. than drawing out a lengthy adoption process. Absolutely. Like, would have been with you guys if she had stayed with you. Just right. to compare the two. Right. So, that's why that was a quicker solution. Yes, exactly. And then with when you place for adoption with a non-relative, you know, there's a monthly check that you get and there's, you know, benefits that the state has to pay for that, you know, so there's any other money that goes into it there. So thankfully that day, um, I had already spoken with the head of Eckert prior to that. It was Loretta Shirley at the time and I had gotten her personal cell number. She was over all of Eckerd and I told her what I knew was going to happen in court. I didn't know about the abuse right. report, yeah. but I told that her, was a surprise. yes, I said, I think they're going to remove her from us because they don't want us to be a part of it anymore. So mm-hmm. she assured me that the state's attorney was not going to allow that to happen. So in that court case, the guardian said we want the baby removed the state's attorney said no we're not going to do that and so i had gone straight to the top 
And I had stopped it for a little while. Yeah. Um, but after, so then after that, you know, we brought her home. The police came to our house. Oh my I gosh. had a client coming over at oh the gosh. same time that the police officer is showing up. Oh my gosh. Um, That's a lot to explain. Yes. Yes. So, you know, those are the type of things that happen. And so <clears throat> I was literally up all night just like reeling in my head about like, how yeah. is this possible? And kind of what it came down to for me, and this was in 2013, is, you know, if you think about all of the laws and the things out there, you think as a normal human being that the whole system is based on what is best for the child. Mm-hmm. That's what you think should happen. Right. When you get involved in the foster system, mm-hmm. you learn that what they base everything on is family preservation, which means putting the child with a family member or a friend at all costs. Right. So this is 2013. I wake, I'm up all night. I'm thinking about it and I'm like, there has got to be a solution to this. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if they changed the law so that everything was based on the best interest of the child? That would literally change everything. Right. Like every, all these other issues that are out there, the funding, the, you know, case managers have too many kids, like all of this stuff, like it would go away if you were truly making decisions based on what's best for each of these kids. Right. You know, so I talked to legislators, I talked to, um, Alida Bromowitz was the head of the entire state of Florida guardian ad litem program. I don't know if he still is. I meant to look that up before this, but I didn't, but you know, I talked to legislatures and all of that and Within like five minutes or so of talking to them, I can tell if they get it or not. Yeah. And they don't get it because no, they haven't been foster parents. They have not adopted kids. Sure. They haven't been grassroots level. They haven't been in your, in your shoes. Exactly. And they don't really understand the depth of what this is. So there's, you know, they're writing bills and they think they're doing great things and signing documents. But what I learned was, is that there's a huge gap in between the laws that are actually written and how they are carried out by the people who are doing those jobs, which are case managers, there are the licensing agencies, the judges, the judges yeah. you know, the things like that. So, you know, to me, I literally talked to everyone I possibly could, like, what can we do about laws? Like, you know, this and that. And... Nobody, I mean, besides like participating a little bit, there was like nobody really had any answers. Mm-hmm. And so kind of at the same time, I don't know if you remember, the Miami Herald had done a huge expose and they had investigated over 500 children that had died at the hands of DCF in the state of Florida. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so you can look it up. If you look up, um, it's called The Innocence Lost series and it was um it's very powerful yes and so they i mean the amount of work that went into this investigation but basically what they did is they investigated all of these deaths through i think it was 2013 mm-hmm. 2012 something like that um and what they did is they looked at all the reasons why every single child had died and most of it if not all of it, was due to the lack of making decisions based on the best interest of the child and family preservation. So within this expose, at the end of it, because it was so huge and so dramatic, and most of them were little kids that were murdered, um, they had a huge meeting with the, the Florida legislature. And at that meeting, 
they showed a picture and they read each child's name and they told how they were murdered and they made the legislature hear all of it. Um, you know, so what came out of it, I <clears throat> thought was amazing. Um, in 2014, Rick Scott, there's all these articles out there how Rick Scott signed this sweeping legislation. And I was curious back then to see what would actually happen after he signed it because kind of not to get into like, I won't get into like the nitty gritty of all of the bills and everything involved in it, but basically the overview of what it said was um, for a decade, the Department of Children's, Children and Families had followed a family preservation policy that sometimes left small children in danger, especially with their parents um, who fought violently or had untreated drug addictions. And it says, now the law says the welfare of the child is most important. Um, somewhere along the line, the rights of children to be safe and protected became less important than parents' rights to custody of the child. So, you know, with these cases that have occurred recently, you hear all these people talking about, we need to change the law, right. we need new legislation, we need a lot of stuff. Actually, we don't. It's, it's the law. already yeah. there. So, you know, there, I nobody has been able to tell me, and I need to figure out how to get more involved with what is the gap between right. all of these laws that are out there and then what is actually occurring? Right. Yeah. 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 That's so, such a great point. I know. So it's like, it's, there is, you know, the, the laws are actually pretty good. Um, you know, but it's like, you know, when you ever, you talk to someone, they're like, oh, the system's broken, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's not. I mean, that's not even close to describing. Yeah. It's horrific. Like, I can't even think of a word yeah. to describe the truth of how bad it is. And it's not even that it's broken or that, you know, it's so horrible. But, like, all these kids are dying yeah. for no reason. That's the thing. It could all be prevented every single time. And there's people willing time. to help and willing to prevent it. Yes, exactly. People losing sleep. Like Yes. <laughs> yeah, so a few years ago, they... um. You know, like when we were foster parents, 2012, 2013, they called it, they called, they didn't want to call it the foster system. They called it the system of care. And then instead of oh. case managers, they would call them care managers. Oh, okay. So I use hashtag system of carelessness mm. because it is, it, it's not about caring for the kids at all. Yeah. It's about getting, you know, what you need to get and all of those, you know, all of those things. And, um, there are solutions to it, but more people have got to stand up and say, we demand something different mm -hmm. because, you know, we're all paying for it too. Well, absolutely. And I think it's really good that you found out all that information about the law because I agree. I, I was misinformed and I didn't know that that was actually a law that Governor Scott changed. I mean, or at least he modified it in some way so that the focus is more on keeping the child safe mm -hmm. and exactly. not so much on the biology that matters. It's not right. so much about the DNA. It's more about the safety of the child, which is great. But mm -hmm. then you have judges making decisions that right. don't enforce that. So right. I feel like that's very bizarre and there must be something. Yeah. But you, like you said, they have so many cases and they're, they're getting maybe not all the right information all the time. Right. And the judges, you know, the there's in Hillsborough County, I'm not as familiar with Pasco and Pinellas, but 
Um, I think there's five judges in Hillsborough County in um, dependency, and you know they each have nine hundred to a thousand cases. So wow. they and we've we sat in numerous court hearings, and the only way they can make decisions is based on the information that they are presented. Right. So you know if you have all this you know not good information being presented, then the judges are going to make bad decisions, you know, based on that. So, um, it's really, it's just really a tricky thing when you have the law that says one thing and then you have the judge judges that are doing another because of the information that's being presented. Yeah. And I'm sure, and we're not trying to say that every time a child gets put back with their biological family, that that's a bad thing. There's mm-hmm. obviously times when that's a good thing and the judges right. make the right decision and everyone's great because that, I mean, if it can happen and it's a good thing, it should happen. Yeah. But exactly. this kind of stuff in the news shows you that it's not, you know, there's something wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think along with, number one, the gap of why this good legislation isn't being implemented, number two, there's no accountability right. that occurs either. So when, these, when, you know, tragedies like this happen and yeah. kids die, um, nobody's held accountable for it. Yeah. You know, so like... And it's everyone's fault. Like in this case with Jordan, the judge's yeah. name was actually released who signed the document. And, you know, so she's getting all this backlash. And I'm sure, like, she's probably getting some, you know, she's probably getting some pretty severe, like, consequences from it. Which, you know, I can't say that I'm not yeah. happy about that. But every single person involved, in my opinion, should be on trial for first-degree murder. Because they had a part of it. And they could have prevented it. And they didn't do a single thing about it. So that's, I feel like the second thing is there's just no accountability because whenever um, something like this happens, you know, you always see these articles, oh, DCF is sending their task force in, they're doing an investigation, Mm -hmm. but out of the investigation, they never change a single thing because what organization is allowed to investigate and incriminate themselves? No one. That's a good point. You're not going to incriminate yourself. Yeah. So I think there should also be third-party, you know, investigations that truly look into what the fault was, what can be done to change it. And I guarantee you, if everybody involved in these cases had some type of, you know, repercussions, that there would be a lot less of these, you know, deaths and tragedies occurring. So with, you know, people just investigating their own organization there's no real change or anything that comes out of it and each time you know you hear the laws are changing the legislature is changing x y and z but in actuality when the laws are changed there's i don't see any implementation Mm -hmm. of that actually occurring which could make a huge huge impact and i think probably the biggest um you know way that I know that this is true is because if you look at Jordan, the little boy who was murdered, his mom was a foster child. And I'm not by any means condoning anything that she's ever done, but she grew up in the foster system. And so did, I know her sister did as well. I don't know much tons about their family, but I know that she grew up in the foster system. And so it's a continual cycle of these things that occur and so she's also a product of you know all of the things in the system that are broken and that have not 
been fixed. And, you know, we as citizens and people who care about other human beings should be involved and we have to demand something different. I agree. Yeah. So thank you for, (laughs) no, thank you for all the research you did for this and thank you for, you know, everything that you're doing. And I I do think, I do think people are going to be able to make a difference. Yeah. And there's definitely now some groups that are calling um, for some change and there's some groups that are really starting to do things. There's a, there's a Facebook group called Florida Foster Reformation Movement, and someone added me to it. Very cool. And so um, if you want to get in on seeing what you can do or how you can become involved, definitely look that up and join that group. And, you know, I hope that, you know, by Jordan's foster parents speaking out and other foster parents that we can really make some progress and change, you know, what is going on. Because not only does it affect the state of Florida – but yeah. in the U.S., there's 500,000 kids in the foster system, oh. which is a ton. Yeah. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot. And kind of the last thing I'm going to say might be a little bit, like, polarizing. Uh-huh. Here she goes, guys. <laughs> but I am going to say it. Um, you know, I think that if you are a person who um, says that you stand for pro-life, that this is a topic that you should care about. You should. You and should you be sh- involved in yes. this. You should put your energy into this, actually. Yes, yeah. because to me, the definition of pro-life is caring about all life. All life. Which is not just babies who aren't born. It's babies who are walking this earth. It's toddlers. homeless people. Yeah. It's toddlers. I it's, agree. You know, the person at the grocery store who Absolutely. has a bunch of little kids and might not be able to pay for their groceries kind yes. of thing. So, um my challenge to you is if you truly stand for pro-life, I want you to think about how you can get involved and if you care about this at all because I think it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a huge part of being pro-life is caring for, you know, these kids. That's a great point. Yeah. So yeah. that's my – I'm normally not, like, unpolitically correct. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more about, like you said, the human aspect of it. It's not yeah. even about the political aspect of it. It's about taking care of us as humans and as people and as neighbors. And that's what we're, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. And that's why it's so infuriating to watch this happen over and over and over again, because it shouldn't have to happen. Yeah. And we live in the U S like right. this is a country where no, anything's possible here. Exactly. And there's, you know, like I've heard people say that it's a problem that's too big to solve. Which, to me, is really kind of the saddest thing I've ever heard because that's basically saying that it's okay for kids to die. Right. They're giving up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not. So I don't have a ton of solutions at the moment in terms of who to actually go to, but it is in the works and the root of the problem is there and the laws are already in place. That's the good news. Exactly. That is because if you had to change laws too, that would even be more work. So yeah, yeah, the good news is there are laws and people are aware. Yeah. So we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to be staying involved and hopefully we're going to see some things turn around here in Tampa and in the state of Florida. Yeah, and we'll let you know if there's other ways to get involved. Yeah, so thank you all All for joining us. Bye. Bye!